0: Today, a gem from the Compassion Radio Archives. Good day, friends. Well, it's been more than just an interesting week. It's been filled with an astonishing mix of hope and new beginnings on the one hand, and anxiety mixed with tragedy on the other. Just navigating can leave your head spinning. I hope you're not so dizzy you can't see the way forward. On the contrary, I pray that God himself is revealing to you his love and peace, that you're reaching out to him with real courage, and that you really sense his presence. I'm going to take a different tack today and tackle some of the hard questions that are still clearly before us, as a people, as a nation, and more importantly, as citizens of God's kingdom. I know that one election of speech isn't going to solve everything, But real change can happen in our families, our social media feeds, in our churches, and in our nation if we let the Lord himself change us. Real change starts from the inside out. It's as much a mind issue as a heart issue. Really, the only thing that matters now is how God's eternal truth will affect our lives today. And on Compassion Radio, we help that process along the best we can by spending some time in the Word and with you. Thanks for lending me your ears for the next few minutes. I sincerely hope you'll leave encouraged and ready to ask tough questions of your own, knowing that God does indeed have the answers that we need. Let's get going.
1: Seek thou this soul of mine, and visit it with thine own. Were you meant to
0: I learned an important truth this past year, one that requires some serious adjustment to the way I think, act, judge the motivations of others, and even the way I approach the Word of God. And the statement goes like this, Emotions tell the truth about what we actually believe. Such a simple sentence, and I've been unpacking it now for months. If we give this one some serious thought, it has the potential to force a radical retooling of our inner lives. I'm indebted to the work of Ed and Joshua Smith in their seminal book, Effortless Forgiveness, for bringing this principle to my attention. When I make that statement more personal, it takes on an even greater power and immediacy. It's no longer an abstract theory. It's both an indictment of the ways I justify myself, and offers a hope, a path out of self-righteousness. This is the way I read it to myself now. My emotions tell the world the truth about what I actually believe. Ponder those words for a second. Maybe even try them out yourself. Do they feel strange on your ears? They did mine. The first thing about that statement that rankled me was how it dislodged another idea I'd held my entire adult life. And that thought goes something like this. Emotions cannot be trusted. We need to reason our way to real truth. That kind of moral rationalism has been the bedrock of my worldview since I've had a worldview. Friends, it's a lie. Don't misunderstand me. I'm absolutely not saying that our emotions always tell us the truth. We certainly have the capacity to lie to ourselves at any moment. This challenge to our suspicion of our own emotions is simply saying that our emotions are a critical, essential, and honest window into our hearts. When I'm trained to be suspicious and judgmental of emotions, anybody's emotions, even mine, I remain suspicious of the heart. Anybody's heart. Maybe you've had this experience, you've shared your heart with someone and they completely misunderstood what you said, what you were trying to say, and remain suspicious of your motivations for saying it. Hey, I've been there, and there's a real heartache in that. Maybe if you're honest, you might remember when you've done that very thing to others, later to discover that you completely misjudged the situation. Maybe it's still a regret hanging at the back of your mind, hindering the potential for further relationship, and you don't even know where to start in repairing the damage. You don't know how to ask forgiveness of someone who remains suspicious of you. I've been there, too. Of course, there are plenty of circumstances and people that train us to remain skeptical of what we hear, but even that requires a generous dose of humility on our part. Being willing to admit to ourselves, and to God, that I may not have everything about the situation figured out is a wise thing. It can keep us from blasting away at others and unwilling to consider any other interpretation of events. Maybe you've seen a lot of blasting going on in our society recently. On social media, on the airwaves, on the street. I'm discovering that plenty of people are just as resistant to this new idea as I was. I think the reason is this. Discovering that our emotions are telling us the truth about our heart beliefs means that we might discover some uncomfortable truths about ourselves. When we turn a critical eye on our own emotions and ask ourselves what they're really telling us, things might not add up correctly. I think instinctively we know that that very thing is a possibility and we want to avoid it. Quick thought experiment for you. Someone tries to explain how your idea is inferior to theirs. At least that's the way it feels to you when they say it. And you feel your blood beginning to boil. You know that you're right and they're wrong. You say to yourself, they make me so mad when they do that. Why can't they simply see that I'm right? This is such a common scenario that I'm sure you can imagine or remember being in just such a place. Now, what can we really learn from this? Our first take at honest assessment might be something like this. When I know I'm right, it really offends me when someone calls that into question. I feel belittled and attacked. And that makes me so mad. Well, that sounds perfectly reasonable and humble, doesn't it? And on one level, it might very well be true. It's also, as counselors might say, a meta-truth. It's an intellectual assessment of what you experience when you experience those emotions earlier. It's your mind talking back to your emotions. Ah, but what are the emotions themselves saying? This might be a little more difficult to accept. It might very well be something like this. I know I'm right, and when you challenge it, you're arrogant, ignorant, and stupid. My moral compass is superior to yours, and I don't owe you one minute to consider your ridiculous idea. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? And it may very well be what you were really feeling at the time. And that's the heart of the matter. Friends, we live in a world full of a kind of self-justification that this little example reveals. It poses a real danger to our relationship with others and our relationship to God. We might very well need a real change of heart. So I'd like to spend the next few minutes on today's program to discuss one of the parables of Jesus, and to look deeper into what it tells us about our hearts when faced with a moral dilemma. It's found in the 10th chapter of Luke. In this famous passage, Jesus has just sent out the 70 to proclaim the kingdom of God, and they all return with amazing stories of miracles and changed lives. Jesus himself is so overwhelmed with joy that he prays loudly as he worships his Father, again proclaiming himself as uniquely God's Son, and God as uniquely his Father. And what's the very next thing mentioned in Luke chapter 10? It's a story that we're all hopefully familiar with. From verse 25. A professor of Mosaic Law stood up to cross-examine Jesus. Teacher, he asked, when it comes to eternal life, what do I have to do? What does the law say, Jesus replied, and how do you interpret it? The professor answered, You shall be loving God the Master from the depths of your heart, from the bottom of your soul, expending every ounce of strength in every way you can think of, and love the one closest to you as you would yourself. Absolutely correct, Jesus replied. Do all of this all the time, and you'll really be alive, now and forever. So wishing to present himself as someone who lives that way, the law professor followed up with another question. So, who is my neighbor then? Now before we move on, what's up with this lawyer's follow-up question? Why bother with asking Jesus to expand on the thought? He could have just let it drop there or argued the point he felt inclined to, but no, he was trying to box Jesus in on something. What was it? Well, consider the previous scene. Jesus had just celebrated the revelation of the kingdom of God to as we might say, the unwashed masses. Seventy associates of Jesus proclaimed the gospel to thousands and saw the Spirit of God unleashed in power. Untold numbers of people, common people, responded to this message, and they also saw their diseases healed and evil spirits cast out, and all in the name of Jesus, this itinerant preacher now standing in a circle of professors and trial lawyers." Jesus is overjoyed that the least educated, the least morally upright, probably even the folks who no one would consider a proper Jew, were now praising the name of God. These are people who no self-respecting Jew would spend time with. This law professor is just that kind of person. Self-righteous, educated, knowledgeable, and intelligent. Jesus responds with one of the most inflammatory parables of his career. And it may not have even been a parable it might very well be a true account of something that actually happened. He doesn't amp up the war of words, but he fundamentally challenges what it means to be respectable. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of everything he had, even his clothes, beat him within an inch of his life, and dumped him in a ditch. A priest happened to be traveling that way, and when he saw that man, he went out of his way to avoid getting too close Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told this man, Go and always do the same thing. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please, take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Here's how. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told this man, go and always do the same thing. Now I'll tell you why the story is so scandalous. It's a sermon about race and privilege as much as a lesson about compassion and mercy. The only thing we know of this victim is that he is stark naked and at death's door. We can easily infer from the terms priest and Levite that Jesus used that he is singling out the purest of the pure, those called by God to serve the Jewish people and intercede between man and God. There's also an innkeeper. And then there's the Samaritan. Samaritans. They're known as the heretic half-breeds who insulted the Jews by their persistent survival. Good Jews wish them dead or at least gone. They would literally go 50 miles out of their way to avoid setting foot on Samaritan territory. When Jews referred to them, if at all, it was with epithets and slurs, not even by their ethnicity. Think of all the rude terms ever spoken in English to refer to people of color, and you get the idea. I'm certain that there were gasps as soon as Jesus uttered the term Samaritan in the story. What he said about this particular Samaritan was utterly incomprehensible. When the Samaritan found the naked, broken body of a man in a ditch, he got off his donkey, climbed down in that ditch. Discovering that man still alive, the Samaritan took him in his arms and held him. He poured out his own oil and wine to wash the wounds. He undoubtedly took off his own coat to cover the man's shame, and, gently as he could, placed him on his own donkey and brought him to a motel. Then the Samaritan spent the whole night nursing this stranger. He emptied his pockets of about $200 and gave it to the motel manager to make sure the man ate and had whatever he needed until this impossible savior could return to settle all the bills. Friends, the hero of this story is the oppressed and downtrodden. The one shut out and unwelcome. The one who didn't belong on that Jewish highway. The one who could just as easily have been the victim in the story on the receiving end of a violent crime, just for the color of his skin. How does all this apply today, you ask? First of all, Jesus shifted the narrative completely by challenging everything the good people thought they knew about what it means to be good. Notice at the end how the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to use the word Samaritan. The best he could come up with is, "...the one who showed mercy." But by that confession, he admitted that it just might be possible that the suspicious person might not necessarily be evil, and that all those who look respectable might not necessarily have the best intentions or the purest hearts. In one story, friends, Jesus guts the rationale for systemic hate and self-righteousness. Do you understand how much Jesus shifted the discussion in one illustration? The story of the Good Samaritan should be just as provocative today. In a time when hate is on the rise everywhere we look, this story should crush us. We should be crying out to God with gratitude that there are oppressed people who don't necessarily want to see their oppressors suffer, who have pity on those who also suffer, who are compassionate and kind. So here's my challenge to you as I close this lesson. When you see the hate, the desperation, the anger and violence that seems to be rising all around us, what do your emotions tell you? What do they reveal about what you really believe about others? And what do the Good Samaritan's feelings reveal about what he really believed? At a time when we feel so certain about things, about our love for God and about our commitment to Him. Are we still willing to ask Jesus that all-important question? Who is my neighbor? Are we willing to risk our certainty for God's answer? For God's heart? Friends, I hope so. With all my heart.
1: Christ laid us
0: I know that right now most of us are concerned, if not consumed, with worry about the desperation, fear, and violence pouring out in our own streets. We're concerned too. We're praying for a just peace. It can happen, friends, and if you haven't considered it yet, I challenge you to join us in seeking God's heart for our country and all the people in it. May the Lord speak to you as you invite Him to share His heart with you. Visit us at CompassionRadio.com to learn more. Music highlighted on today's program comes from the latest project by Michael O'Brien. It's titled Crown Him. I have a few more copies available if you'd like one, so don't hesitate to ask for it when you contact us today with your gift to support Compassion Radio. Our toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. We can't know if we're doing right by you unless you tell us, so I'd like to really encourage you to reach out to us and to do it today. I'd really like to hear what you think and what God's stirring in your heart, especially in times like this. Don't hesitate to drop me a personal message by email at the following address, bramfloria at CompassionRadio.com. That's B-R-A-M-F-L-O-R-I-A at CompassionRadio.com. And our mailing address, once again, is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. I look forward to hearing from you and answering any questions that you might have. We'll see you again for the next Compassion Radio.